Last week we started a sermon series called A Three-Letter Word, God. And Pastor Chris took us right to Exodus chapter 14, where we find the Israelites confronted with a difficulty. The Red Sea in front of them and the, the, the Pharaoh's army right behind him. And the people call out to God and to Moses, what are we to do? And God says, stand still, for I will fight for you. Trust in me. And then we see this mighty deliverance that happens, where God opens the Red Sea, the Israelites go through, and the Egyptian army is destroyed. And then in chapter 15, we find this beautiful song that they sing, God has delivered us, and we believe in God. There's an interesting thing that happens in all the wilderness narratives in Exodus. We find a pattern that goes like this. Crisis, complaint, providence, and deliverance. Crisis, complaint, providence, and deliverance. And so we see in this story, crisis happens in chapter 16, as we've just read. They have no food, and that indeed is a crisis. They've actually come from another crisis after they came through the Red Sea. They rested for three days, and then they went on their journey, and there was no water. In fact, it, not no water. The water was bitter, and they could not drink it. And so the people complained to Moses, why are we out here? We're going to die of thirst. And then God hears their grumbling, their complaining, and God makes the water sweet for them uh, to drink. And then we see after that, as God delivered them in their crisis, they go to Elam, which is an oasis. And the Bible says they were at Elam and there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees with fruit on it. 12 springs to represent the 12 tribes and 70 in number of perfection and completion. So this was truly an oasis. But then we see that this crisis keeps going because they have no food. They move from this oasis. Why did we not stay here the whole time, God? But God puts them on a journey, and so they go from one crisis to the next. They have no food, and the people turn from celebration to complaining. And it's just a month back, remember, where they saw God's amazing power, and Scripture says they believed in the Lord their God. And so we see their celebration, the choir turns into a mob, and they are putting their complaints front and center to Moses and to Aaron. In fact, in 14 verses, we find seven times they complain. If seven is the perfect number, their complaining was perfect. God, why did you put us here? So we all complain, and uh, I have more text messages than I care for, but... Uh, let, me, let me see here some of the messages, um, some of the things you complain about. Somebody complained, there's a lot here, Can somebody complained, where's the toilet paper? Um, student here complained about the cafeteria food. Um, I'll skip all the political ones. People complain about how much homework there is in junior high, isn't that true? 
Um, people complain about the actions of our leadership in our church. Maybe we'll go to church politics. Uh, somebody complained about being held in their, uh, back in their education. Their classroom experience must not be good. Somebody complained about the referee in the Springboks versus Pumas game. Javier, I don't know where you are, but uh, we, South African Springboks, did beat you fair and square. Um, somebody's complaining about the weather. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. Today is pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, somebody complained that their life just feels too busy. Many people are complaining about idiot drivers. Sorry, I just said that word in church. Um, there are many people who are complaining about school. There are parents complaining about their kids not doing their chores. Can I hear an amen? From the kids, amen. Uh, lots of people talking about political discourse. Uh, people complaining that they don't have enough time. Lots of people, well, lots. Three people so far complaining about their boss. I hope you and your boss are not in church here together today. Or I hope you are, maybe this will help. Um, complained about uh, not enough rain. Complaint from a grandparent who now says junior high kids have too much homework. There's a theme going on here. Um, somebody's complaining about their three-year-old outsmarting them. Jeff Brand seems to have mosquitoes at his house too. Uh, the Lakers lost, like whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of complaints going on here. Anybody have ants right now? Yeah, there's a lot of complaints about ants here. Oh man, it's so easy to complain, right? And so we look at the Israelites and we go, oh, a bunch of complainers, but uh, we're not any different, are we? So the interesting thing is, uh, I just found this on the news this week, I don't know if you saw this, there was a complaint by parents because they had uh, put $1,000 away to save for their season tickets for some college football thing, and their kid ended up shredding the cash. $1,060 in the shredder. They looked for, for many hours. Fascinating fact is the treasury will actually take it, and so they told them when he contacted the U.S. Treasury, put it in the Ziploc bag, mail it to us, and in one or two years, you'll get your money back. <laughs> wow. Complaining, complaining. They have reason to complain. Ants, what are ants? Anyways, we see that the Israelites complain and their desire is to go back to Egypt. Because by the way, they have a very short-term memory. They're like, we'd rather go back to Egypt for there we had pots of meat and our fill of bread. And they complain, but we see complaining doesn't always contain the best solution. Let's go back to slavery, yes! You see, because we romanticize the past. And I think we romanticize the past because the future is uncertain. At least we know we got through the past, but we don't know the future. And so we romanticize and we look back and think that Egypt and slavery is better than being led by God in the desert. Yes, even though we don't have food. And so for us, it's easy to, to impose our view on scripture here and look at the Israelites as whiners, as faithless people. Many, many times we find sermons saying, oh, the Israelites, you should have more faith. What? If we say that, then the message in scripture is that complaint does not have place in life with God. 
And that is not true. Look at the Psalms. The laments in Job are all filled with and give voice to the human experience of abandonment and suffering and fear and anger. And so, as you can see, we turn the image around from people protesting against the leader. Now we see it from their perspective. perspective. At the core, complaint is a turning to God, not away from God. Complaint is a turning to God, not away from God. Trusting that God does not ignore, dismiss, or punish those who call out in fear, anger, suffering, and need. Can I hear an amen? In our worship guide that you have in front of it, it, it's, it says there in the front the real dangers that they had in the wilderness. They just come from not having drink God provided. Now they don't have food, and in just the next chapter, there will be a battle where what they're facing. The dangers are real. Complaint is what we do when we bring our need to God. And so the Israelites are asking, who is this God? What is this God like? How will God relate to us now and in the future? And what I think is important to understand here is that there's an emerging relationship between God and the Israelites. Remember, they had been in slavery for over 400 years, and now they're free for the first time from the religion and power of Pharaoh. We can't expect them to just trust and and be made. They are still being made into the people of God. And it's interesting in this text, there's uncertainty for both God and for the Israelites. For the Israelites, the question is, can God be trusted? And for God, the question is, can the Israelites trust that I will provide? They move from crisis to complain. And complain is what we have to do because ultimately when we protest against God, the question is, God, what are you doing with your power? Will you punish or will you help? Because remember, people in power, like Pharaoh, often choose to ignore complaints, dismiss complaints as whining, or punish the people who complain. In contrast, the person who truly listens to a complaint involves himself in seeing the world from another's perspective and hearing it as a call to action. They are not whining, they are protesting. God, who are you? So they complain and they protest. They turn to God with their fear, with their need, with their suffering. See, God is not ignoring, dismissing, or punishing the Israelites. God listens, God hears, and then God acts. And so we move to the third step. From crisis to protest or complaining. From crisis through complaining to God providing for their needs. God has heard their plea, Scripture says. Because God says, I am going to rain down bread from heaven. Perhaps God says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven so that they can know, trust me. And so God sends them bread and meat. This is significant. God doesn't only send them bread to provide their basic need. God sends them uh, uh, bread and meat, which shows that God desires to give them more beyond scarcity and just daily sustenance because God proves to be a different kind of God than Pharaoh. And so God prepares manna and quail and it flop, 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 flops. 
And in the evening they have meat, and in the morning they have bread. But we see God tells them, I'm gonna provide this with you. And we see the manna kind of, it is, describes it as sort of this frost-like white substance. And in fact, the word from Hebrew for manna means what is it? When it comes, they're like, what is it? And from that point forward, they name it, what is it? We're having what is it for breakfast again. Before the manna and the quail came in scripture, uh, in, in chapter 16, you will see that the glory of the Lord appeared to them. I find it interesting that God shows his glory, reveals himself before he acts. Very often we think that in the Old Testament, God reveals himself only through Moses or through a mediator, but here we see God reveals himself to the people and then provides them with manna. They come from crisis, they go through complaint and protest. God hears them, that's the kind of God we serve and God provides for them. And then we see the last step in this pattern we see in Exodus, God delivers. And it's interesting how God delivers. God delivers through two ways, through the pattern of enough and through the pattern of rest. They had patterned their lives after the overlord Pharaoh in Egypt as slaves. And God now wants to redirect them and give them a new future a new identity, and God delivers them through patterning their lives through enough and through rest. So let's talk about enough. The fascinating thing about this story is that the divine bread, manna, is only enough for one day at a time. God provides, and now the world is God's world, not Pharaoh's world, and God provides just enough. If you read chapter 16, you will see those who took too much, because yes, there are hoarders, those who took too much had just enough, and those who took too little had just enough. Miraculously, that happened. Divine bread, only enough for one day at a time. Because see, when they were in Egypt, they were part of the empire where they as slaves had to construct the storehouses for food, where they were exposed to constantly to hoarding, to the competitive ethos of getting more and more grain for our storehouses, and where human lives were abused and broken in order to fuel the hunger of the elite. Mm. See, God wants to take them from the economy of Egypt, of hoarding, and much for few, and shaping them into a different community, a community of God where there's no hoarding or selfishness, but a community where sharing happens and there's equal and enough for all. God patterns their life in God's deliverance through enough. And then lastly, God patterns their lives with Sabbath, with rest. The root word for Sabbath means to cease, to stop. And so the story tells us that they have just enough for every day, six days, but on Friday, they have to collect double because on Sabbath, their identity is now in God. They can stop from their labors and rest. 
They can stop and not go out and gather food, but stop and marvel at God's provision for them. In Egypt, they were defined by what they did. In the wilderness, God is teaching them, you are defined by who you are, a free child of God, not a brick maker, not Pharaoh's slave. All we have is due to the goodness of God, not our ability to gather manna better or more than others. And so Sabbath rest, our Sabbath rest stands opposed to all oppressive systems insisting regularly timed days of rest for all people. Of course, it harkens back to Genesis chapter two it refers to, for God created the world and gave us rest. And we know from, from the Sabbath uh, narrative in, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that the human beings are created on day 6. And the first full day that humanity has is Sabbath. They don't have to work the garden or do the things that human beings need to do that God had called them to do. But their first day of humanity is Sabbath. And out of that rest comes their work. Work is important, but rest is of primary importance and work only comes out of rest. Boy, do we need that in our lives today. And so we see on Sabbath, God's people eat for pleasure alone. For six days we eat so that we can sustain ourselves and work and accomplish. But on Sabbath we feast in freedom because we marvel at God's goodness. We don't have to do anything, we just eat. Because there's a difference between bread from heaven and bread from earth. Bread from earth takes a lot of work. You gotta plan, you gotta do all this stuff, you gotta wait, you gotta harvest, all those kind of things. Bread from heaven comes as a gift to all, to all. And so we see in Exodus 16, God's grace pushes the Israelites forward by providing strength for the journey in the form of food and structure for their days and weeks with instructions regarding how to observe the Sabbath. So the question is, who is God? Last week, Pastor Chris shared, God is the deliverer. God is the one who fights on our behalf. Today, Exodus 16 offers us the assurance that in the wildernesses of our want, God is present there. As Moses instructs Aaron to say to the people, draw near to God, for he has heard your complaining. Then we find this fascinating sort of bookends. Genesis, uh, Exodus 16 starts with the people wishing, remembering, remembering the flesh pots of Egypt. And now at the end of chapter 16, God institutes a new kind of remembrance. God asks Moses to take manna and put it in a pot and put it in front of the Lord to keep for generations to come. And we see an interesting thing in chapter 16. The Israelites' face is now turned from Egypt. They turn their back on Egypt and they take the slow step to walk in the journey of faith with God. They no longer remember the flesh pots of Egypt, 
but they now memorialize and remember the manna and the quail that come from heaven. In this story of bread from heaven, we are reminded that while the future may be uncertain, God does not send us to a place where we will not be provided for. God journeys with us. God is in the cloud by day. God is in the pillar of fire by night. God is in the sweet water. God is in the meat. God is in the bread. God is in the everyday rhythms of six days of work and the seventh day of rest. Who is our God? He's mighty to save. He provides for our needs and calls us to rest in his grace and his goodness. Amen. Amen.